The proof is in the pudding. You may have heard the old figure of speech that the effectiveness or the quality of something is, is best seen when it's put to the test. The best way to determine the quality of the pudding is to taste it. My name is Nathaniel. I'm, I'm part of the team here at BPCC. It's my privilege to be unpacking this passage from God's word that we heard this morning, which talks about the proof of the faith of the Thessalonians. Now, I do a lot of woodworking, and recently I bought a new drop saw. I did a lot of research on this saw beforehand. They're, they're pretty significant products. You don't want them to go wrong. And I was pretty sure that I was buying a quality product. But it wasn't until I started using my new saw that I knew that it was a worthwhile investment. It stood up to the challenge of, of a big red gum slab that I needed to cut, and its reliability will be proven as I keep on using it. And that is true for a lot of things as well. The proof is in the pudding. It can be true for a new car, uh, exercise regime, or anything else. You've got to put something to the test to know if it really is what it claims to be. And in today's passage, which we just heard read for us, Paul continues the, the message of encouragement in the book of 1 Thessalonians by thanking God for the genuine faith in the people of Thessalonica and the way that that has stood up to the test. Now, 1 Thessalonians, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we, we're in a series in 1 Thessalonians, which is a letter in the New Testament written about 20 or 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, it's written to a church in Thessalonica, a city on the coast of Greece. And the letter is written by the Apostle Paul, who God used to bring the good news of Jesus uh, to many people outside of the nation of Israel, where Jesus lived and died and, and spread his good news. And Paul was on a missionary journey with some others where he was proclaiming the good news of Jesus in city after city and, and seeing people come to faith and starting new churches. He proclaimed the good news of Jesus in the city of Thessalonica and a church was born and it began to grow. Now, normally, Paul would stay around for, for quite a long time. He would raise up new leaders. He would make sure that the church is healthy. But strong opposition to this good news of Jesus came up in the city of Thessalonica. And after just three weeks, Paul and his companions were forced out. So Paul was understandably quite worried about this, this young church in Thessalonica full of people who he loved and he cared about. So sometime later, he sent one of his most trusted companions, Timothy, to go check on that church. And Timothy brought back encouraging news of a church which was thriving despite harsh opposition. So Paul writes them this letter of encouragement. Uh, at the start of the letter in chapter 1, we saw Paul encouraging the Thessalonians about their genuine faith, which he said was a model for other churches. At the start of chapter 2, last week, we saw Paul then turn the attention on himself there had clearly been some slander against him from his opponents in Thessalonica, and he defends his preaching as a genuine, heartfelt message from God. Through this, we saw the vision for leadership and ministry which God intends for his church. Now, Paul has already shown that the Thessalonians' conversion was genuine, that his own ministry was genuine, and Paul now thanks God for the way that God's word has been continually at work in the hearts of the Thessalonians, keeping them strong despite the opposition that they've been facing. And he reminds them of the reality that God will triumph over anyone who tries to oppose him. 
And in the process, he provides an answer to the natural question which the Thessalonians and many people since who followed Jesus would very reasonably ask. The question, if we are genuinely following the one true God who's in control of everything, why are we still suffering? In these verses, we find three key realities which we can expect to experience when we open our hearts up to accept God's word. First, that God's word is active. Second, that God's call is difficult. And third, that God's power is eternal. So we'll walk, we'll walk our way through that passage and see those three key things in play. The first one is that God's word is active. Now, that might sound a little bit strange to you at first. Uh, if you think of God's word that we, that we have here in the Bible, it it seems a bit strange that we might say that it's active. It's, it's a book, right? We think of books as something which sits on your nightstand or sits on a shelf and it is picked up and carried around by, by a person. Books are generally stationary, passive things. Yet, Paul says the Word of God is active. What does that mean? And what precisely is the Word of God? Because, of course, we're reading this as, as all one big part of the Word of God which was formed and, and put together after he wrote this. Well, let's have a look at what Paul says there. The verses began with a thanks to God. Uh, in verse 13, we heard, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in those of you who believe. This is a letter of encouragement, remember. So Paul first communicated in, in chapter 1 his thanks to God for the initial faith of the Thessalonians. Now he expresses his thankfulness for all that God has continued to do after Paul was forced out in the hearts and in the lives of these people. So first we need to know what this word of God is. What exactly is that? This is the good news which Paul preached to the Thessalonians, the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done. In summary, this message, which we call the gospel, is that even though humanity and the world we live in has been broken and, and separated from God by human sin, God loves his people so much that he sent his only son to take the penalty for the sins of all those who had ever placed their trust in him. Jesus, fully God and a fully man, died to take our place. And he offers us a restored relationship with God for free, for no price. There's nothing we need to do to earn that. He offers it by his grace, and we accept that by placing our faith in him. And that's a restoration, a restored relationship, which we start to experience now and which we fully realized, fully restored, when Jesus returns and makes all things new. In verse 4 last week, we saw the approach of Paul and, and, and the others when they first preached about Jesus to the Thessalonians. Uh, he wrote that they preached not to please people, but to please God. And now he reflects that the Thessalonians have received this message not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. It's so significant that this, this message wasn't just some human tale or, or even just an account of true things that happened. Because if Paul had just been a compelling and powerful speaker, then maybe he could have rounded up a group of people and, and gotten a church going in the time that he was there. Maybe the movement would have been successful if it was all based on him and his great preaching. But 
That's not what happened here. This word is God's word, so its power isn't found in, in the person who is preaching it. The message that that little church didn't, didn't die out when Paul, the, the great preacher, left, but it kept thriving, it kept going, growing strong as proof of God's word at work in these people's hearts. Amen, indeed. And this word is not just a powerful message for those which challenges people. It's not just something which tells us to go and do something which causes us to search our own hearts. It's described as being at work in those of us who believe because God works through his word in the hearts of those who believe in him. It reminds me of, of the words we have recorded in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where we read, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This word is something which is at work in us. We have this word recorded for us in the Bible. This is the complete word of God. It tells us who God is. It tells us what God has done for us. It tells us how he created this world, how this world became broken, and it tells us of the plan he has to save it, to save his people because of his great love for us. How he has provided a solution to the, to the damage in this world, which we could never fix ourselves, through Jesus, who is the living word. God, by his Holy Spirit, spoke through people to record and to compile this word, and God continues to speak through it to us today. So we must understand that the Bible is the word of God, because when we treat the Bible as, as human and, and see it as helpful advice or just a, a general nice instruction, it loses that, that power. We must, must put ourselves under the word of God and accept its, its power and, it, and its active working in our lives. So how do you approach the Bible? When, when you pick up the Bible or when you look at this, this book, how do you treat it? There, there are many in our world today who treat the Bible as just a historical document or a book of helpful advice. Some might treat it as a ceremonial tool to, to read aloud when we feel guilty or to have sitting on a shelf as a, as, a, as a symbol of holiness. Or we can treat it as it actually is, the Word of God which is living and active in our hearts. If we approach it this way, then this shapes the way that we, we share about it with others. If we're focused on making people happy with the message we share, then we'll be trying to please people, which is so easy to do, to, to skip out the, the harder bits, uh, to focus on the, on the nice, pleasant bits so that people will like Jesus more. But if God works through his word, then we can, we can leave that up to God. Instead of preaching to, to please people, we can share this, this good news faithfully to please God. I'm reminded of, of the story of people like Pastor Craig Rochelle, who's a, who's a pastor I listen to quite often. He was brought to faith by reading a Gideon's Bible that was left in a hotel room. Maybe that's similar to your own story. I know there are many of people in our church family who have been compelled, who have been struck, who have been changed by coming under God's word in the Bible. So do you maybe have a friend or a family member who doesn't know Jesus? We don't need to try and find a way to make them happy with the message of Jesus. We can faithfully and truthfully and lovingly share that, that gospel, that good news of who Jesus is, because 
that message of who Jesus is and what he has done for us is what all people most need to hear. We are a bit like a translator in that sense. You know, if you, if you speak through a translator, then the translator is the one who does the communicating. But their role is to communicate as faithfully and accurately as they possibly can exactly what the original speaker means to say. And this shapes the way that we approach preaching here at Bray Park as well. Uh, last week, if you joined us, then Adam shared those four key indicators of an authentic gospel ministry. And one of those is faithfulness to the gospel. I hope that you know that, that when we preach, regardless of who is up here, we don't ever come up here with just a bunch of our own opinions to share. When anyone prepares to preach from the front here, we spend hours carefully examining God's word, reading through other commentary on it to make sure that what we preach is never our own human words, but that we are unpacking and applying and declaring the word of God because it is only the word of God which can work in our hearts, which can transform a heart. So I hope that you will always come to church looking not for a great, compelling, powerful message from the preacher, but looking for the great, compelling, powerful word of God, which shapes all of us and works in all of our hearts. Even if you come to church and the guy preaching doesn't have any facial hair. But don't just have that approach at church. This isn't the only place where we dig into God's word. You can pick up and read and understand God's word yourself every day of the week. Make use of any opportunity that you can. Make some space aside to think about God's word, to come under God's word. Because without relying on what God says to us through his word, without having this active in our hearts, our Christian lives will very quickly start to drift. So if you understand the, the power and the significance of God's word, or perhaps you're starting to think about what, what that might look like for you, how can you commit to, to internally digesting that word day by day and week by week? Perhaps you could invest a specific time into coming under God's word. Maybe you could start memorizing particular scriptures. Maybe even journal through your reading and, and, and write down what God is speaking uh, to you through, through a particular passage as you read it. Maybe you could read and discuss this word with another Christian. Growth groups are a great way that we do that. Because as we open our hearts up to God through his word, it begins to work in us. So that's what Paul is thanking God for here. The Thessalonians didn't just get the message. The message got them. The message started to change them, started to transform them. But then how can we tell whether God's word is at work within us? There are a few key indicators, a few ways that we can know that God is changing our hearts. But the proof in the Thessalonians was that their faith stayed strong despite the opposition from those around them. And that's what Paul goes on to next. The second key thing that he highlights is that God's call is difficult. The opposition to this, this new Jesus movement, this good news of Jesus, didn't stop when Paul left. Persecution kept on going. The group of people in Thessalonica who were opposed to Paul and who forced him out kept on trying to oppress and trying to shut down this new church. And Paul now reminds them that this sort of opposition is to be expected. 
He goes on to say in verse 14, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. So he's saying that the suffering they're experiencing from their own people in Thessalonica is is equivalent to the suffering which uh, famously around the Christian world the Jewish people were experiencing from fellow Jews uh, in Judea where this gospel first started. There was persecution happening there. And now these people in Thessalonica are joining together and experiencing that. Just like in in chapter 1, verse 6, we saw the Thessalonians were described as imitators in response to their suffering, enduring it in the same way that Jesus endured suffering for us, and then that Paul went through the suffering, and then the churches in Judea went through it. But the natural question there is, what help is this to the Thessalonians? What help is it to know that others have suffered? That's that's often a, a... a common but unhelpful piece of advice in difficult situations. You know, don't worry, other people have experienced this too. It doesn't always help to know that other people go through hard times. So why is Paul telling the Thessalonians about this? He tells them because this is evidence of the work of God's word in their hearts. That they have endured this persecution shows that that God's word has been working in them, has been causing them to endure it reflects that there has been a deep personal change in their hearts. They hadn't simply taken on a new set of beliefs. They hadn't simply gotten excited about a great compelling message. They had been gripped and changed by the word of God. And Paul wants to assure them that this is not unexpected. Opposition didn't catch God by surprise and that this persecution was not going to bring God's church to an end. In fact, Jesus often, himself often told his disciples that they should expect challenges. Uh, in John 16:33, for example, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This passage assures us that when God's people do suffer, it doesn't mean that something has gone wrong in their faith. Suffering is the normal experience for a Christian. Both the challenges of of living in a broken world, the hurt which comes from that, and the opposition from those who want to try and stop the word of God from spreading. Now, that's, that's an important distinction there because everybody does deal with the effects of a broken world. COVID restrictions are affecting my wedding plans at the moment. That's not persecution, but it is definitely an effect of, of a broken world that we live in. Uh, Many in our church family, uh, perhaps you even, uh, have dealt with the sufferings of chronic health conditions, of serious disease, even of death of those that we love and that we care about. Now, although this passage isn't focusing on those challenges, they are spoken to at many points in God's word. God cares deeply about every single one of his children, and he cares about the difficulties that they go through. Jesus himself went through the worst of the human experience so that in every time of suffering, we know that he fully understands what we are going through and he fully cares about what we are experiencing. But the challenge of human opposition is the key point of suffering that the Thessalonians have been enduring. And so that's the challenge which Paul focuses on here. Uh, The attention of the world this week has been focused on Afghanistan on the news coming out of there. I'm sure that you've seen pictures of of tragic scenes, heard reports of of what's happening in that country. 
The Taliban have swiftly retaken control and already we're hearing reports of brutal persecution starting against the Christians who live there. That's, it's hard to get, it's hard to get clear facts about exactly what is happening, uh, but already we've started hearing from mission organisations about beatings, death threats and arrests which are happening. Now that is confronting news for us to hear. I'm sure that it's far more confronting for the people on the ground who are going through this. But this sort of violent persecution is not unusual through church history. In fact, the consistent proof through history has been that the message of Jesus, the true gospel about who Jesus is, it spreads the fastest and the furthest and reaches the most people through the, mo- through the times of most severe opposition. When the going gets tough, our God gets going. So I expect that we will hear many more stories of, of tragic persecution, of the loss of life, of beatings and of injustice out of Afghanistan in the next few years. But I also fully expect that we are going to hear stories of how God will work powerfully in and through his people there to bring many others to know and to trust in him. Now, there is also opposition to Jesus in our world, in the Western culture we're in, in Australia today, but that is moving far more slowly. Perhaps we face the occasional mockery. Um, sometimes we, we do go through points where perhaps jobs are on the line. Uh, sometimes, and as, as time goes by, we're seeing uh, more and more opposition to, in our culture to Jesus. Now, very few of us have experienced the sort of active persecution and opposition which the Thessalonians were going through here and which is often the case uh, in churches around the world and through history. I I certainly haven't experienced that. Uh, The occasional insult is, is about the worst that I've gotten. But I hope that if I do go through this, this sort of suffering for the name of Jesus, this opposition, I hope that my response will reflect that God's word is at work in my heart. I hope that God will cause me to endure, that he won't let my faith go weak. So if and when we do encounter opposition to God's news, whether that's uh, as, as small as the occasional insult, whether that's as big as facing death for Jesus, or whether that's anywhere in between, how should we respond? What justice is there for those who oppose God? How can we get even with them? Well, that's answered in the final verses where we hear that God's power is eternal. These final words here, uh, they're easy to draw out of context and they have been used out of context before. Some have suggested that Paul wrote uh, verses 15 and 16 when he was in a bad mood, uh, possibly because his work was again being hindered by opposition from the, from the Jewish local Jews in, in Corinth. Or even, some have even used these verses as grounds for anti-Semitism, But that is not what is happening here in these verses. For starters, Paul himself was a Jew. Uh, On his missionary journeys, he would often go to synagogues first and proclaim the good news of Jesus to the Jewish religious leaders first. And in Romans chapters 9 to 11, a a high point in the book of Romans, uh, also written by Paul, we see a beautiful vision of God's love for his people. Paul even says that he wishes he could give up his own salvation so that his fellow Jews would be saved. So it's very clear that this is not talking about an ethnic people group. These these words, these words of of condemnation and of warning are aimed at all those who oppose the gospel of Jesus. 
Paul is critiquing those Thessalonians, those local Thessalonians who are opposing the good news of Jesus. And he points out how they are acting in a similar way to the Jewish people in Judea who also opposed the good news of Jesus. And he points towards God's eternal judgment on all people who oppose God's word. The heart of the issue is is specified there at the start of verse 16. He says, in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. Paul's driving goal here is to share the good news of Jesus with those who haven't heard of him before, those who desperately need to hear of him. And that should be our goal also. And these harsh words he, he uses here, they reflect God's righteous anger at those who seek to separate his children from him. And Paul's rebuke of of the Judean Jews is sharpened by the fact that he's talking to his own people. In the same way that Australian media will will really focus on the shortcomings of Australian politicians, will focus on the international embarrassment of of Australian sportsmen uh, far more than those from other countries, Paul focuses on the wrongdoings of his own fellow people. But the words here are definitely strong. In verse 16, we read, In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Now, it could be that Paul is referring to some sort of physical judgment. There was various famines and and various riots and and harsh recriminations which happened around there. But the tense of, of the original word here allows for a future event. Speaking of a future event with such certainty uh, as if it was already come because it is so sure of being fulfilled. It stresses the completeness and the certainty of God's wrath in judgment of those who oppose him. But again, what use is this for the Thessalonian Christians and what use is it for us today? You know, those who were persecuting the Thessalonian Christians weren't the ones reading this letter. It was written to the church who was suffering. Why would the Thessalonians need to know about this? Why do we need to know about this? Uh, Are they and us supposed to get some sort of satisfaction out of the impending demise of the tormentors? No, Paul is encouraging them with the reality that they are on the right side of history. God is in control. God will bring justice in the end. God isn't going to be beaten by human opposition. Jesus will be glorified and his people will be restored and the brokenness which is in this world will come to an end. Those facing suffering can continue to endure and can continue to hope. God will bring judgment on his enemies. That means that there's never any call for us to bring that judgment for him. We are God's hands and feet in the world for his his love and his light sharing his good news but not sharing his judgment. As Paul writes in Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So how should we then respond to opposition? How should we respond to persecution? Uh, spoiler alert for a couple of weeks from now, this is covered at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 15 where we read, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Jesus says this in in Matthew 5 as well, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That same message is found through the Bible. When we are faced by unjust opposition, 
perhaps even when we are persecuted, whether it's as small as an insult or as big as death, we can respond with love. Because this is the way that God has treated us, showing love, undeserved love, to those who opposed him. In fact, we saw this in practice just a couple of weeks ago in our sermon series on Acts. If you recall in Acts chapter 5, if you were with us then, the apostles, the the group of 12 who uh, followed Jesus and had heard from him, they were beaten for sharing about Jesus. And they left that beating rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. The church... Us as Christians, the body of Christ, we're not a battleship sent out into the world to fight on some search and destroy mission for God's enemies. Rather, we're on a rescue mission. We're like sailors stranded at sea after a shipwreck who are pulled onto a rescue boat, we're saved by Jesus, and we're called to then take part in that rescue mission that he is on, pulling others onto the boat as well. I've recently seen a lot of Christian outrage online about the loss of, loss of liberties, about the, the increase in opposition. But even if there is some plot against Christians, even if we are going to increase, face increasingly harder persecution, isn't that what we should expect? And rather than fighting back, isn't the Bible clear that we should devote our time and our energy to loving those who oppose us? to caring for those who persecute us, to praying for those who abuse us, and to faithfully following Jesus regardless of anything that happens. This isn't a call to try and be unpopular. Please don't go home and start irritating your neighbor until they start persecuting you. That that wouldn't be a good idea. Blare worship music over the fence until they throw something. That's not the point. It's an encouragement that when we do encounter suffering, as we continue loving people, regardless of what form that suffering comes in, because this is true of of suffering from the effects of a broken world as as well as suffering uh, active persecution from, from others. When we do encounter suffering, look forward to what is to come. Jesus is going to return. When he does, he will bring eternal justice. By ourselves we wouldn't be able to stand in the face of that judgment. But that is the very good news of Jesus, which was working so powerfully in the hearts and lives of the Thessalonians and in billions of Christians since, that Jesus gave his life for us to take that penalty for our sins so we can look forward to eternity with him in a renewed creation, in restored relationship with God and with each other. We can experience the beginnings of that starting to play out in our lives today as well. This passage has shown us what to expect when we receive God's word. God's word will be at work, and we should expect that it will build endurance within us. And that, in, that endurance caused by God's work in us will keep our faith strong. When we face suffering or even when we face hard opposition from others. However, the the effects of suffering in the world, in, in our hearts, that's not the last word. This won't keep going on forever. God will bring eternal justice. Justice is his and all those whose faith is in Jesus will spend an eternity in a restored creation with him with him and with each other forever. 
So as we wrap up, I would love to share with you a few lines which reflect on the way which God works. God works in our hearts and and God works through his word. These come from from a song which I really appreciate. They say, Speak, O Lord, as we come to you. To receive the food of your holy word, take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come and spend this time uh, hearing from your word, Lord, unpacking your word and thinking about what it means for us to, to dwell upon your word and to rely on you, Father. Lord, I ask that you will work in all of our hearts here today uh, by your word, that through this passage that we've read and, and through the, the many other passages uh, in the Bible, Lord, that you will continue to shape our hearts, that you will draw us nearer to you. Uh, Lord, for those of us who are Going through, going through times of suffering, Lord, I ask that you will keep us strong, that you will draw us closer and closer to you. Lord, we ask that those of us who may be facing opposition, that you will remind us to, to show your love in, in the face of anything that, that we do face, Lord. And we bring before you those around the world who are facing harsh opposition, Lord, that you will cause these words to be true in, in their lives also. Lord, please continue to draw us closer to you and closer to each other as we continue our time together. We ask this in your name. Amen.